0: Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Church, it's been a good day here. I hope it's been a good day for you. I hope that God is ministering to you and speaking to you in a special, special way. This morning, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. and I've titled my message this morning, When God prepares to move. When God prepares to move. See, I believe that if we were to take a poll in this room this morning, I would hope at least, I think the majority, the vast majority of those in the room would say, yes, I want to see God move. You you want to see God move in this place. You want to see God move In your own life, you want to see God move in your family. You want to see God move in our community. You want to see God move. I think we all want to see God move. But I believe wholeheartedly that before we get to see or experience a movement of God, we must go through the preparation of God. Meaning we need God to do a work within us, before God is going to do a work through us. And I like just being straight, just being honest with you this morning, I, I think that's often why many people don't get to experience God moving, because they aren't really willing to go through the process of the preparation that God wants to do. Church, I I believe that God has us on a journey right now where he is doing a preparing work in the life of Green Hill Church for what he has in store. I really do believe that. I I believe that's why God has aligned this series. I believe that's why God has aligned this Experiencing God study that we're about to go through. I believe all of this is coming together. Um, I would love to claim it's great planning on our part, but I think it has a lot to do with God doing a special work, that he's preparing us for something special. Casey mentioned that I was going to share with you about Easter. I hadn't planned to do that, but since he said, (laughs) I'm going to share with you about Easter. And it fits. It really does. We were sitting in our staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about Easter because we were like, man, that's coming in like eight and a half weeks. And we're like, that'll be here like that. And if you didn't know, Easter takes a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, just the legi- there's just a lot that goes with it. And part of the issue that we were looking at is a space issue, and um, as you can see, like there's, there's still room in this room for you to invite your friends in the community to church, by the way. We got, we got room for them. Last year, we had 770 on campus for Easter. Year before that, we had five, six, I don't remember, it was, it was below that. And so we started looking. We grew by 130. So, whatever 770 is minus 130. I was like, if we grow by that again, then we'll be at 900 for Easter. And, and the reality is, we're running about 100 more than we were last year already. And so, like, we're just thinking through logistics and all these kind of things. And we started counting seats and we started counting bodies in the room versus preschool versus choir versus, volu- you know, all of these kind of things. And, and my math showed that we could still grow by 130 people and fit everybody in two services. And Ricky just looked at me and he said, we don't need to wait. We need to go to three this year. And I said, Ricky, you don't have to be the one up here (laughs) doing all three of those services. And he just smiled and said. What can God do? And what I'm finding is that God is doing a work in our staff, and God is doing a work in our people, and he's trying to get us out of our comfort zone, and he's trying to say, I want to do something through this church. Would you just let me? Would you just be willing to be obedient to step outside of your math and let me do my math and let me accomplish what I want to accomplish? Because last time I checked... There were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are outside the walls of this church and every other church that's meeting right now in Wilson County who don't know Jesus. They're far from God. They haven't come to the realization that their sin has separated from God and that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and he died on a cross for them and he was dead but then was alive and that they too are dead, but yet can become alive. And so we said, let's add a third service. Let's make room for that many more people. And church, can I just tell you, like that frightens me a little bit because I'm scared that that first service, I'm gonna be staring at a bunch of chairs. And if there's just a bunch of chairs here and one or two people, I'm gonna proclaim the gospel, amen? But here's what I believe. Just because we open the doors doesn't mean that people are just gonna walk through. They drive by this place Every single day, and they don't think, Well, I probably need to go there. But I can promise you, the research tells us that if you just go and have a conversation and invite them, one out of two will say yes. Can we do that? But, church, listen before God uses us to do a movement of God, He's got to do a preparation. In us. When God prepares to move, turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. The book of Judges is such a unique book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. If you think the Bible's boring, go read Judges. Alright, the, the the book of Judges is really a, a compilation of many different stories of individuals that are known as judges. These individuals are people both men and women, that God raises up to accomplish God-sized tasks, God's work for his people. Now, the people of Israel are in what I call a cycle of rebellion, repentance, rescue, repeat. All right, rebellion, repentance, rescue, and then it just repeats. They fall back in rebellion. They repent of that. God rescues them, because God is a God who rescues, and then they repeat it. And they Does it sound familiar? Because it sounds familiar to my life. But God, in his grace, he raises up these individuals, he raises up these judges to rescue his people. Now, Judges chapter 6, before we get there, anytime you jump into the middle of the story, you can get lost. All right, so let me, let me catch us up. The people of Israel, they're in captivity, they're in Egypt, but God... Hears their cries. They're crying out, Lord, we need you to intercede on our behalf. We need you to rescue us. And God hears the cries of his people. And so what does he do? He raises up a man named Moses and he sends Moses and Moses leads them out of Egypt. And he takes them on this journey. And we studied a few weeks ago that they're about to head out on their journey to the promised land. And God says, I need you to go, but I'm not going with you because you've still rebelled against me. And Moses cries out and God says, okay, I'll go with you. My presence will go with you. And we learned that if God's going to do a movement, if he's going to use us, then the priority number one is that our eyes are fixed on him and his presence goes with it. We We can plan 10 services for Easter, but if the presence of God is not here, it will not matter. We need the presence of God. And so we see this journey that happens and then... We come to the end of Moses' life, and the people are camped on the other side of the Jordan and from the, the promised land, and they're about to enter into the promised land, and it's time for Joshua to take the leadership role. And, and what we learn there is that before they enter in, God has a word for them, a reminder that he needs to be what? Be strong and what? Courageous. He repeats it over and over again to be reminded that God is with them and that they're going to walk into some territory that is new, that's uncomfortable, that gets them out of their their environment that they're used to. And he says, be strong and be courageous. Trust in me because I am with you. And then last week we see that they cross the Jordan and they circle the walls of Jericho and they come tumbling down. And the obstacles that are in the way of the promises of God and the mission of God are no longer obstacles when God is at work. And so they walk forward. And so the end of Joshua, so that that Joshua, if you look at your Bible, is the book right before Judges. And at at the end of Joshua, they've inherited the land and he's dispersed them. And he says, now go and take each tribe. You get this land and you get this part of the land. And and, and it's just this joyous celebration. And they commit to, to following in God's ways and the law. And all of these blessings are theirs. And then jo- Judges chapter 1 happens. In Judges chapter 1, it says that Joshua passed away, and all the elders and all the leaders of his generation passed away. And Judges chapter 2 tells us this that there arose a generation who did not know the Lord or the mighty works of the Lord, and they turned and worshiped Baal. And they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. One generation. Everything changed. So Judges chapter 6, notice verse 1, notice the context of what we're going to study. It's this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord did what? He gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. He gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. They had rebelled. They had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you keep looking at these verses, if you just skim through them, I'm not going to read them, but basically, the Midianites and the Amalekites would raid the harvest and the produce of the people of Israel every year, leaving no sustenance is what the scripture says. Meaning this, they let, it says they left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, no ox, no donkey. And it says that there were so many of these Midianites that it came as if they were a swarm of locusts. Talk about overwhelming. Now, this is a side note. This is powerful, really. Understand this, that the land that they inherited was to be what? A land flowing with milk and honey. It was to produce so much for them. They got to eat of the land. And then all of a sudden, you see what happens? That is gone. The Midianites take it from them. God delivers them over to that. And so we have this context, and it says that the Israelites were fearful of them, and so they are driven into the mountains, and they hide in caves. They hide in caves. So now, look at verse 6. If this is the context, it says, And Israel was brought very low. Why? Because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. This verse right here, I believe, can be transformative for your life. And here's what I mean by this. It says that Israel was brought very low. This word here literally means to be made small. Now think about who this Israel is. Israel is the people of God. God's chosen nation, they are are powerful. They are mighty. They, They literally walked out on Pharaoh and said, take that, Pharaoh. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. They walked around the walls of Jericho, and then simply screaming and shouting and blowing a trumpet, the walls came tumbling down, and they conquered Jericho. These were a mighty people. They enter into this land, and they have everything that they could ever dream of or imagine, all provided for them. They had it all. You following me so far? They were mighty, but yet were what? What? Made small. Now, here's why. They were made small because all of a sudden they thought that their might and their possessions and their provision was rooted in themselves. They lost sight that their might was not them, but their might was God. If you remember my message last week where I talked about obstacles are no longer obstacles when God's on the move... We talked about the physical obstacle of the Jordan River. And we talked about the physical obstacle of the walls of Jericho. But then we realized that for Achan and some of the others, there was a spiritual obstacle called pride and greed. And what happens with Israel is it begins to take root in them as well. And in their pride and in their greed, they see no reason to walk in obedience to God and his ways any longer. And so in that, they rebel. And in that, they're made small. Now, here's why I believe this verse is transformative. Before God can use anybody, they have to be made small. Before you can experience the movement of God in your life, you need to be made small. Before God is going to use this church, this church needs to be made small. Now, I'm not talking about physical size. What I'm talking about is our heart. pride. You see, there's two ways that we can approach this idea, because here's what I believe, and this this is what the Lord has been, been showing me as I've been studying this. You ready for it? Everybody at some point will be made small. You see, my prayer, my desire is that we as a people of God here at Green Hill Church that we'll be made small this way. That as we look to God and we see who God is, that in seeing God in all of his glory and all of his might, that we then look at ourselves in comparison to who he is and then we make ourselves small. We humble ourselves before him. We prostrate ourselves low and say, God, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah says. I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing. This isn't about me. This is about you and you alone. Do you see the posture of humility in this that God is saying, you need to be made small so that I can use you? That's how I hope that we are made small, church. But here's what I believe those people who aren't willing to look to God in all of his glory and all of his might and then look to themselves and see themselves small and will look at all that they have and all that they've accomplished and all of their greatness of who they are would say, I'm quite large. Look at us. Listen, it would be very easy for us as a church to say, look at all that's accomplished. Look at what we've done. It'd be very easy for you in your life to say, look at, look at all that I've accomplished in my life. Look what I've done. And to think of ourselves as more than we really are. I believe that by God's grace, if you have a posture of pride, that at some point, God will allow some things to happen in your life by his grace to make you small. See, we can come to God small in a posture of joy and humility, or we can be made small in brokenness and sadness. I hope for you it's in joy and humility. And listen, church, listen, there may be some of you in this room, you feel small because you've been broken by some hard things in your life. Listen, don't get mad at God for that. Remember That it's by his grace he brings us low so that we can then cry out to him. When do the people cry out to him? After they've been what? Made small. Listen, church, are we in a posture of being made small so then in that we cry out to God for God to do a powerful work? What do they do? They cried out for help to the Lord. Listen, church, if you think you're something, you won't be crying out to God for help. You only cry out to God for help when you know that you're small. So we have this context and we have this moment. And now God begins to do a preparing work in them and through them. And here's what it is. Number one is this. Before he moves, God gives his word. God gives his word. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you down from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not what? obeyed my voice. Can you imagine they're crying out to God? They're like, God, would you please rescue us? We're hiding in caves. We have nothing to eat. We, there, there's so many of them. There's nothing we can do about it. God, we need you. And, and I think probably in their mind, they're like, do what you did to Jericho. Do what you did to Pharaoh. Like, bring down fire. Do something. And here's what God does. What does he do? He sends them a prophet. Like, no, God, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't want to hear from you. I just want you to move on my behalf. Here's why. You ready? The Israelites wanted relief, but what they needed was a word. They just wanted relief. God, would you just do something? But God understood that before I do anything to rescue you, before I give you relief, before anything like that, we need to deal with something. And so you need a word from me. So what does he tell them? He reminds them, I'm the one that rescued you. I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that drove you out, of, drove out these nations before you. I'm the one that gave you this land. I am God. And we've reversed things here. You've allowed yourself to become God. And so I need to remind you of who and who alone is God. It's me and me alone. And so he reminds them of how good he's been, and he reminds them of who his character is. And he says to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. He told them, listen, do not fear. But you have what? You have not obeyed my voice. God is driving down to the heart of the issue. The people were crying out to God in regret because of their circumstances not in repentance because of a broken heart. In other words, they looked at their circumstances and said, this is uncomfortable. Okay, God, we need your help, rather than from a posture of rebellion against God saying, no, we've gone against God. They are sad for their circumstances, not sad for their rebellion. And God says, there's a difference. And I need you to know that you have Disobeyed. You have turned away. Listen, God had warned them. God had told them. He said, here's my design. Here's my way to life. Here's how you walk in this. Yet you did not listen. They heard, but it didn't get to the heart. And so God gives them a word. And church, here's the question for us this morning. Are our ears open, but our heart closed? I believe that if we want to experience a movement of God... Then our hearts need to be ripe, fertile soil, ready to hear the word that God has for us, that as it's sown, it takes root into our heart. And as it takes root into our heart, then it begins to flourish and grow. That leads to a posture of obedience, walking in the ways of God. But last time I checked, and you've probably experienced this in your life, that sin hardens hearts that's what it does. That's why it separates you from God. Because when you rebel against God, when you sin against God, it does something to your heart. It takes that which is soft and makes it hard. So that when the Word of God is sown, when you come and you hear the Word of God, or you open the Word of God, or you get in your life group and you're discussing the Word of God, you're hearing it, but the heart soil is hard, so the seed just bounces off. And when it bounces off, it doesn't get in. And when it doesn't get in, it doesn't lead to obedience. And so what God does is he comes to them by his grace and he gives them a word. A word, and this is the word, you have disobeyed. Church, listen, sometimes we need a word of comfort, don't we? Sometimes we're walking through some hard times and we just need to be comforted. I know many of you are walking through some difficult situations and and there's words of comfort that God has for you in scripture The church, sometimes we need a word of conviction, don't we? Sometimes we need a word of conviction, and I believe that a word of conviction is the most loving, gracious thing that God can do, because his word is a call to repentance, to recognize that he and he alone is Yahweh. The word that he gives the people of Israel is not a word of comfort. It's a word of, you've not listened to me, and because of that, you've been made small. And you need to know your rebellion. Listen, church, God has given us his word. Did you know that Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is living and effective and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates as far as separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the Word of God does. This is why on Sunday mornings I'm standing out in the foyer, someone will come to me and say, you were speaking directly to me. And I say, I know. Every week I get my directory out and I go through. (laughs) And I'm like, Lord, who you got for me? And he gives me a name and I point. It's really, I close my eyes and point. There it is. This week it's you, all right? No. Because at the same time, someone else will come and say, you were speaking directly to me. And I'm like... No, 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 listen, the word of God is living and is active. I'm just casting seed, and the Holy Spirit is doing a work. Praise the Lord that your heart, soil is fertile, and you're recognizing that God is speaking to you and that he's shaping you and he's forming you. And in that, he's preparing you for what he wants to do in you and through you. Before God moves, he gives his word. Number two is this, when he moves, God uses his people. Now, listen, you're sitting here and you're like, well, of course he does. This is what God does. Now, here's where we miss it. For many of us, when we hear this statement, we look at someone else that we know that God is doing a great work through, and we point at them and say, yes, God uses his people. Look at that person over there. Look at them get after it. They are absolutely dominating. I love how God is using that person, but not me. You see, what I mean by this statement, when he moves, God uses his people. What I really mean is when he moves, God uses all his people who are willing, who will allow him. Notice verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abias, right? While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and do what? Save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, listen. What is Gideon doing when the Lord shows up to Gideon, what does it say? He's threshing wheat. He is doing a very common task. He's doing a daily task. He's just a normal guy going about his business, making sure there's food to eat. Now, what's not normal, you ready for this, is where he's doing it. What does it say? Where is he threshing the wheat in the scripture? What does it say? He is in the What? The wine press. Last time I checked, the wine press was not for threshing wheat. The wine press was for what? Making wine. So why is he in the wine press? It says in the the text, he's doing it because he's what? He's hiding from the Midianites out of fear. He knows that there's walls in this wine press, and he can get down in there, and he can get low, and he can do his thing, and he can make some food, right? All these kind of things, and they won't see him. And so, man, he's like, I'm safe. Now watch this. God shows up to Gideon in his most vulnerable place out of fear and hiding. And he says, I want to use you. Come on, church, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? This is a very, listen, you go read the next chapter and we're going to get there next week where Gideon's this mighty man that he goes and conquers the Midianites with 300 men. And it's like, man, I want to be like Gideon. Listen, you are like Gideon, hiding in fear. Can we relate? Insecure. But notice what God does. He's hiding in fear, doing this very menial task, and God shows up and he gives him a word. You ready? What is the word? He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This word, mighty man of valor, literally means valiant warrior. He gives him a word. In other words, he says, Gideon, you see yourself as weak. You see yourself as unusable. You see yourself in fear. You see yourself hiding. But I see in you that you are a mighty warrior for my name. Church, listen. The preparation process that we need to go through is hearing a word from God that this is who you are, not what you see yourself as. If you are simply looking at yourself and saying, I can't be used by God. I'm incapable. I'm weak. All these things, then you're just like Gideon. You're in a good spot. Because that's who God chooses to use. Have you not noticed that the people in scripture that God uses are those that are weak? Notice the excuses that Gideon says. He said, "I'm the I'm the weakest in my family." I'm the least in my father's house. And God's like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm choosing you. But it's fascinating because Gideon, a little bit before that, he says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? And this is powerful. Since he was a little boy, he had heard stories. I've heard of God. I've been told about what God's done. But I've never experienced it. Where are you at, God? Is this real? And God comes to him and says, you're the kind of person that I want to use. You're the kind of person I want to use. See, in his most vulnerable place in verse 14, notice what God does. It says, and the Lord turned to him and the lord turned to him. Listen, I don't know about you, but when your children are in a spot of vulnerability and weakness and fear and what do you do? You don't turn away from them in that moment, do you? No, you go to them and you grab them and you look them in the eye and you say, "I am with you. I am here. Do not fear. I've got you." And that's exactly what God does for Gideon in that moment of weakness and vulnerability. And listen, church, there may be some of you here this morning that are simply having these excuses and saying, there's no way that God can use me. There's no way. Listen, do you know my past? Do you know how broken I am? And God is saying, listen, I can redeem all things. I don't care what your past has been. I don't care if you're living in fear. I don't care if you feel yourself as weak. I don't care if you don't think that you've got the gift. I don't care any of those things. What I care about is simply are you willing to be made low so that I can build you up and use you for my kingdom? So notice in verse 15, Gideon has his doubts. He's got his excuses. And then verse 16, it says this, And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. Is that not a phrase that we've heard over and over and over again the last several weeks? He says it to him three times in this text. It's the same phrase that he tells Moses. It's the same phrase he tells Joshua. It's the same phrase that he is now telling Gideon. And listen, church, it's the same phrase he's told us. Listen to the words from Matthew. This is what Jesus says. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Listen that's the command that god has given us his people it's not for some of his people it's for all of his people it's for the church this is what we are to do and if we're not doing it then we're just like the israelites saying look at us we can do it our way we're big we're bad awesome great we're living in rebellion and at some point he's going to make us small and quite honestly i believe that there are many churches who have been made small because they've lost sight of the mission that God has given them. May it not be here. Now listen, I didn't finish the verses, did I? It doesn't end with observe everything I've commanded you. It ends with this, and remember, I am with you always. It's the exact same phrase. Now listen, church, here's why I think we miss it. We know the phrase. We've heard it. God is with us. You've heard it for all your life. You know that God is with you. But I think we misunderstand what it means that God is with us. I think we think God is with us is something like this. God is over here, and he says, I want to use you, and I need you to get this screw through this piece of board here. And I'm choosing you to do it. And listen, Brandon, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right here with you, and I'm going to be cheering you on the whole way. Are you ready? Okay, God, this seems a bit impossible, but you said you'll be with me. So here we go, and then we go to work. And God's standing on the sideline. He's like, you got this. Keep going. Work harder. You're making progress. Look, I'm making progress. You can do it. Do you feel this way sometimes, that God asks you to do something, and so you jump in and you just go? Or sometimes we just do church because we're supposed to do church, and we're just sitting here over, and we think God's over here on the sideline cheering us on the whole way. Look, made progress. We slap ourselves on the back, and we say, man, we're awesome. We say, we don't even really need God. He's not doing anything. He's just cheering us on. And we just keep going. And it doesn't accomplish anything, right? But you see, now you hear a lot of the guys in the room, they're like, yeah. <laughs> I got a text after the first service, and it was like, God would use an impact driver, not a drill. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> but when God says that he is with us, what he means by that is he's not a cheerleader on the side. When he calls us to something, There is a power that is infused through us that's able to accomplish much more. In fact, not much more, but only what is impossible for us to do, God can do. With what? His power. God with us. And there's a sense in which the only way we get to experience this Is when we take that leap of faith, trusting in faith that God indeed in his power and his might will accomplish it. Do you understand this? And God wants to use us, his people, to accomplish it. Now listen, you're going to have to come back next week for part two. Because there's more to this story. But let me finish with this. In the early 1900s, a missionary in China penned these words. He said, A command has been given go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he writes this, it has not been obeyed. More than half the people in the world have yet to hear the gospel. This is in 1900. He says, what are we to say to this? Surely it concerns us Christians very seriously, for we are the people who are responsible. If our master... If Jesus returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked, if, of course, as he would, to us for an explanation, I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give. Of one thing I'm certain that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience now, we should be wholly ashamed of then. Church, that's a convicting word, isn't it? You see, we're like Gideon, and we make excuses as to why God can't use us to fulfill his mission. Can I just say, when Jesus returns and he says, why have you not been part of the mission of God and making sure that the world knows about me, those excuses are meaningless to him. Because what he is offering is he's willing, and he's saying, I am with you. I am with you. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Church, would you be a a people this morning that would be willing to have a heart posture to say, God, what's the word that you have for me to prepare me to be chosen, to be used by you? And listen, I'm not saying that every one of you needs to go to China and be a missionary. I'm saying that some of you might. But here's what I am saying. God has a purpose and a plan to use you for some way, somehow for his purpose in his kingdom. It might be in your own household, leading someone in your family to Christ. It might be in your school campus. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be rocking babies in our preschool hallway so that mom and dad can hear and grow in their faith. And while you're rocking that baby, you're praying for that little baby's salvation one day and that God would raise that baby up to be a mighty, valiant warrior for the kingdom of God. It might be walking alongside some of these teenagers and saying, I know this world is against you, but I'm for you. And I'm coming alongside you and my arm is around you and I'll help hold you accountable. And I'll help disciple you and teach you the word of God so that you can walk in the ways of God and that God can use you. It might mean that you need to go on a mission trip. I was told that we're going to potentially get to 70 people on mission trips this year, which is awesome. My goal was 50. It might mean that you need to say yes and you need to go on one of these mission trips. It might mean that you need to say yes and open your home to uh, Easter on our street. I don't know what it is for you. But it starts with a posture of willingness and obedience to say yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you give your word. God, that you speak your word, that you don't just speak in general terms, you speak in specific terms, and you speak specifically to individuals. And so, God, I know in this moment you're speaking to individuals and hearts, and Lord, I pray that it would be clear, and God, that there would be receptivity, and there'd be a willingness to be made small, to to allow ourselves to be made small, to hear from you so that we can then be obedient to walk in your ways And be used by you. And God, may we never forget what it means that when you say that you are with us, that you empower us to do what we can't do, but only what you can do. So God, we ask that you would use this church and these people for your kingdom and your purposes in ways that we can't describe, but can only be described as but God. Lord, we welcome it. We invite it. Prepare us for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's respond in song. You come. If you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, you come. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.